So let's get going. Might as well start now. Patrick, mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Good, good. My pleasure. It's good to be here. Great to have you as well. Um, from mm -hmm. Berlin, we were just saying before we went on air and attending mm -hmm. DevOps Days Berlin this uh, mm -hmm. week, right? How, mm -hmm. How's that been for you? Do you want to just let us know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually didn't like attend the whole thing, but my colleagues went and I visited them because uh, some of our colleagues from Helsinki were there as well. Um, so for us, it was a really big thing. We're, uh, we're a sponsor of the event. And um, yeah, our head of operations, CIA, um, gave a really great talk. We had good reception. And um, yeah, it was good to be there. We, we gave out a lot of swag. Uh, I think a lot of people liked what we had to say. Um, it's a good thing that we were there. I wish I had one of those t-shirts with a green polar score <laughs> written across it. Those would look pretty cool. We did, Maybe we did next those time. custom for the event. Like th these were like normally we have the white ones where mm. the Polar Squad thing is written on white. Uh, but for that event, um, we found someone who managed to do them like with multiple colors. Uh, so that was pretty great, actually. Brilliant. Yeah, mm. definitely the green one for me. Mm. So really appreciate you joining me today. Um, it's mm. a really interesting podcast, as we were saying before, because it's a different spin. It's more from an engineer's perspective, right? So mm -hmm. you kind of your journey into DevOps. Mm -hmm. um, how you're finding it so far. We'll talk a bit about mm -hmm. your um, content on LinkedIn mm -hmm. as well, the CALMS yeah. philosophy, which we'll get onto a bit mm -hmm. later. But mm -hmm. why don't we set the scene, start with yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just give us a bit of an introduction into kind of who mm -hmm. you are and what your background is? Yeah. Um, I came to Berlin about nine years ago. Um, at the time, like, it was just for my studies because I actually had been wanting to be a mathematician since I was five uh like it's been really my whole life from the beginning and when i so i did a bachelor in montreal in mathematics and i moved to berlin for my masters um and then i started a phd and halfway through the phd i uh, i was financially struggling because i mean the academic life it's not the most lucrative if you compare it to tech uh, and had some medical bills that I have to take care of and I, I, at some point i was like at a uh, at a fork i had to take a decision it's like either i dive myself so much more into depth to make a living as an academic, even though I was academically performing very well. Um, or I just let it go and try to make a living some other way and math becomes like a hobby. Um, and I had some health concerns also at the time, so I didn't feel like I could go through the stress of financially struggling, so I decided to let it go. Um, and after that, like it took me like a year to find my first job, actually. Um, not because I wasn't technically good enough, but because I didn't know how to like sell myself, so to speak. So uh, I would meet one person and that person would be like, oh, if you learn this, that would be great. And I would like go in my man cave and learn that thing for three months and never network, never go on LinkedIn, never do anything. So it took me a while to realize how things are done. Uh, but I started in a startup incubator. Like I went to an event and they were like, oh, you're a mathematician. You do, you do this, you have that. Okay, you should come to our startup incubator. Uh, and I joined Entrepreneur First and they, they were like my, uh, my, my debut in the business world, let's say, uh, because they were really about like, okay, you need customers, you need traction, you need, uh, you need a product like and these are things that I would never think about I was thinking mm -hmm. let's get a job by doing technical work with my boss that says we need this so that you know this server is running this way and so on um, so it really got me starting to think differently and to see business as something that solves a problem for someone else let's say um, and after that I was in another startup incubator and I freelanced and I became CTO for a um online marketplace for sustainable fashion uh, that was also a startup and this mentality of solving problems was always there so i was always thinking like okay you're hiring me because you say you want this and that what's the problem like why do you need this and then they would start talking about the problem and 99 percent of the time what they wanted was not at all the ideal solution <laughs> right so then like my my background of like solving problems abstractly in mathematics would became really useful because I could abstract away from their emotions, their perceptions, their, their, their needs. And I could just figure out like, okay, this is what has the most value to you. And it became kind of, um, like they would come see the doctor and the doctor would ask for the symptoms and then would give them a prescription. Uh, the difference is that instead of giving a pill, you give 
12 months of your life working, <laughs> trying to solve things with code, but the, the feeling is the same. And so, um, a few months back when I was, uh, cause I left my, my previous startup and I talked to, like, I talked to some people and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to find a freelance gig or a full-time job or whatever I feel comfortable with. Um, uh, Yair, our um, head of operations here, he just found me on LinkedIn by accident. Uh, and that's why I realized like, uh, like this network effect thing, it, it's really useful. Like it's for any purpose whatsoever, you want to have a big network. There, there's no way you can uh, waste your time doing that. Um, so he found me and then uh, at the beginning, I didn't think it was a job interview. I thought he was just curious because I'd been through so many job interviews already. And this was like nowhere close, like anything I had before. <laughs> he just like, hey, let's talk. I was like, okay, he wants to talk, whatever. So we start talking and we get to know each other. And then like 30 minutes into the call, he goes uh, like, oh, wait, so you're looking for a job? And I was like, yeah, I'm looking for a job. I was like, oh, okay, I might have something for you. But, he, but it sounded like he knows someone that's looking for someone, you know? Like I didn't think he was wanting to get me and I didn't think he, th he thought he was wanting to get me, but yeah. Um, yeah, so we talked a little bit and then uh, he said like, so what do you know about DevOps? I was like, I use AWS, maybe I touched Docker like a few times in the past, but that's it. Like I never did this full time. He's like, okay, you know Kubernetes? No. You know Terraform? No. Do you know GCP? Nah. <laughs> Looks okay. You know nothing. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> and I told him, was like, look, I don't care about the tools, you know, like for me, it's, it's really not important. And then... After saying that sentence, I like after the call, I was like, oh, I told him I don't care about the tools. What is wrong with me? <laughs> and that, that's the sentence I remembered. But the sentence I, that he remembered was the sentence I said afterwards. It's, I want to do something meaningful. So I didn't realize I said that. And he only told me after he hired me that this is what got me the job. Like, this is why he passed me. Um, and so when I started here, um, like at the beginning, it was really strange because in Polo Squad, we, uh, Polo Squad is the company I work for, just for the audience, because yeah. I actually didn't mention their name before. Um, <laughs> like we don't, uh, like we don't have like departments with people that have like a title doing this thing only. Like we don't have like a, uh, let's say like, a, um, like your job is to be an AWS engineer. Your job is to be a, HR um, manager, your job is like, we don't have like fixed positions like this. Um, most people that work here are DevOps consultants and then they, they can do whatever they want with that. Uh, and we use a model that's derived from Teal. So we call it the squad model. And the idea is like, okay, we need to do marketing. We need to do sales. We need to do um, some specific sub areas of DevOps. We need to manage our IT devices. Like we have all these things that the company needs to do hmm. and we create squads and people join the squad, leave the squad. Uh, they can join temporarily as a helper. They can join it permanently. Uh, they can facilitate the operations of the squad. Um, and so even though I joined as a DevOps consultant with like a, an IT background, mostly from like the technical perspective, at the beginning, I joined the marketing squad and I really liked writing content. And so that was my contribution. And seeing how things were done, um, I was like, okay, I really want to understand, like there was something about the vibe of the company was very different. Um, this is where I, I learned about comms. So we can talk about that a little bit later, but I just want to give the backstory. Like mm -hmm. um, I spent about like a week and a half just interviewing my colleagues and beating the bush to figure out like what is devops for these people you know uh and they got a bunch of different answers uh but they all they all had some common points that i kind of aggregated and then when i added everything up i was like oh okay this is what devops looks like for polar squad hmm. and then i looked at the points that i had and someone mentioned columns and it was like perfect fit so i was like oh okay this is what it is you know and we had a product, I mean, we have a product, sorry, uh, called the DevOps assessment. And the DevOps assessment is assessing columns, not uh, infrastructure and automation. I mean, it's part of it, but it's not all of it, you know? Uh, and I was like, okay, we need to market this DevOps assessment. But like, the problem is that when we say DevOps assessment, we think columns, like assessing the, how close you are to doing columns properly. 
and what people understand is it's a tech review. It's um, yeah. It's like uh, let's look at my Kubernetes cluster. Let's like see how we're test. using it. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, okay. Um, so we have two options. Either we rename the DevOps assessment, which is like, yeah, it's cheap, but then it, it, it stops being what we think that it is. And we kind of lie to ourselves a little bit, but at least the customers understand. Hmm. Uh, or we rebrand DevOps entirely and we talk about what it's supposed to be and what it really is. And that's why I'm mentioning this because actually, like when I started going on LinkedIn, being very vocal about DevOps, I went for option two, basically. I was like, no, let's just rebrand all of DevOps. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it sounded like a reasonable idea, not in the sense that it was not uh, a small ordeal. Like, of course, it's like enormous. Like, people talk about DevOps everywhere, or it has its own meaning. Hmm. Uh, but because if you go back to like 2006, 2007, uh, when people started talking about agility, DevOps, Columns like when these words came out, the SRE that Google came, uh, like started using the word. That's what it meant. Like that's what it meant back then. And it kind of got as as like cloud started growing and became more and more popular. Uh, the term DevOps got hijacked by people trying to sell technical stuff, and it became yeah. like now you're a DevOps engineer. It means you do a CI/CD pipeline and you run your Docker container in ECS or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so. It, it was it was important for me that these things come back um, because these are the things that solve problems. Like the technology, it's just a tool. Like you don't think that an entrepreneur in construction is performing because he has the right hammers. It's like, no, he has the right people, the right mentality. Uh, he knows who to rely on for certain things. Uh, he has a certain process, how to organize the, the, the construction of the buildings that he's trying to create. And in software, I feel like if you're trying to have agility, I'm using the word agility on purpose. If I say agile, people think the framework <laughs> and everything. I just mean the the objective. Like if you're trying to have agility, uh, comms is the way to do it. You need to have the right culture. You need to automate the things that repeat. You need to uh, save costs on things you don't need. So to be lean, uh, and by costs, I don't mean just financial ones. I also mean the time, the people, the meetings. Uh, you want to measure because you can't fix what you can't see. And you need to share, so you cannot have like bottlenecks, you know. Uh, it's as simple as that. And if we want, like, if companies adopt certain frameworks or use certain tools in the objective of acquiring agility, then when we show up and meet them because they have problems and they say, "I need someone who knows Kubernetes. I need someone who knows Terraform," and then we go and we ask, "Okay, but what's your problem?" And then they say, "Ah, you know, I have this thing. It's broken. Blah blah." Okay, maybe you don't need Kubernetes. Maybe you don't need Terraform. Maybe you need something that fixes your problem. Hmm. Um, and I'm not saying those tools are bad. It's just that they're very often used for the wrong reasons. And when you have something as powerful as Terraform or Kubernetes and you use it wrong, it becomes really expensive. You need like the right talent to maintain those things. These are hard to find. It becomes very problematic real quick. And so it's important to get these things right. So that's where... That's where I'm coming from right now. And um, don't get me wrong, I love to get my hands dirty, but I hate doing it for the wrong reasons. So this is where this comes from and why I'm being more vocal about it. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And it's an interesting perspective on it because in the DevOps community, as you rightly said, it, the word gets hijacked a lot, still does, mm -hmm. and it probably will for quite a long time to come. But if you was to line 10 people up and ask them what DevOps means, they would all have 10 completely different definitions of it. So when you see you writing about DevOps, uh, mm -hmm. like the kind of culture, the definition of it on LinkedIn, and you see other people writing about it as well, it's really interesting. You know, you pull them all together and you get this kind of weird mixed mm -hmm. definition of what DevOps mm -hmm. actually is. Yeah. So, you know, as a DevOps consultant then, do you still believe that if you're a DevOps engineer or a DevOps consultant, if you have that job title, should you be someone who also codes? Is that part of a DevOps makeup? Yes, uh, for sure. That, that's not. The, I was not saying that uh, DevOps is a soft title. That's not what I was trying to say. Um, because in the end, like um, the the reason why the term exists, it's because that's how you achieve agility. But uh, let's say 
let me try to phrase it in a way that's not too confusing. Like, okay, I, I think the best quote I can use is like, you can even do DevOps in the kitchen if you want. Yeah, that's uh, one of my co-founders, uh, one of the co-founders of Polo Squad said that to me. It's like, you can do DevOps in the kitchen because DevOps, it's about these five principles. And in the kitchen, what would automation look like? Well, if you want to chop vegetables, you can throw it in a vegetable chopper and it does the chopping for you, you know? If you're in a kitchen and you're chopping 100 paprikas uh, per hour, then doing it manually doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, like throw them in the machine, tuck, 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 it's over. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the reason why we have DevOps engineers is because in software, the automation part is really time consuming. It's really hard. It's technical. It's, ex it's expensive. So you need experts. So this will never change. But if you only have the experts, and you have a bad culture or you don't measure anything uh, or you have this one guy that does everything and doesn't say anything to everybody, doesn't write documentation, like you end up with the same problems as if you would do waterfall or as if you would do uh, the daily meetings, but not the other agile ceremonies or these kinds of things. Like in the end, it's like if you are a DevOps engineer, like I wouldn't be surprised if 100% of your time is, or let's say 95, like is spent doing the actual technical work. But if you don't have that other small portion, which is about making sure that things run, run smoothly and the way they're supposed to run, you're gonna hit a wall at some point. Um, and this is where the customers that come to Polar Squad struggle the most. Like they, I, I've been actually very impressed. Like most of the time they have very advanced technologies and they like they have a lot of experts on their team and they worked really hard they've been spending like years and hundreds of thousands of euros of investment to make something go up and running but then you talk to them and their people are not happy and you're thinking like how can like if i'm uh, if i'm this huge nerd that just wants to get its hand dirty on like big cloud stuff and i'm in front of this huge machine and it's working and the business is profitable like I, you would think that the people are happy but then you talk to them, it's like, oh, I'm stressed, or I'm working too much. Uh, I don't want to touch something because I'm afraid it's going to break. Um, you know, like these kinds of uh, feedback, this, this kind of feedback means that there's something wrong. Hmm. And this is where the tools cannot help you. Uh, you have to have the, you have to make the right decisions, build the right culture to make sure that, um, and, and also prioritize the right things. Um, like there's some technical depth that will, maybe not hurt the business, but it will definitely hurt the people and the people when they leave the business that hurt the business, you know? Yeah. Uh, like imagine you have a team of five DevOps engineers and you have a 300 people company and you know, like the software is out there, your website is running or whatever you're having in your company. And then because there's like, because there's too much pressure on the DevOps team to let's say, uh, move to a different cloud because of GDPR concerns, like whatever it could be. And then they end up being under a lot of pressure and they have to cut corners and then the corners that they cut, slow them down. And this culture keeps going, let's say for six to 12 months. Mm -hmm. At some point they have so much manual work to do. They cannot function properly anymore. And so the people burn out and let's say the lead DevOps guy in the team decides to leave. This is bad, you know, like, and there's, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with the choice of tools or technology that leads to this problem. Sometimes it's just a cultural pattern. Um, and they become really important when there's millions of euros invested, when there's a huge software team, when there's, uh, maybe people that don't like each other within the team for things that have nothing to do with the business. Like mm. when you don't see these things, uh, it can become really problematic regardless of how you're trying to run your business and with what budget, what people, um, so. So it would be one thing if it would just be like, yeah, you know, I'm a consultant now. These are the problems that I see. Like if it were just this, it would probably not touch me that much. Um, but in my four years of being in the tech industry before Polar Squad, uh, these problems were the same everywhere. Like I would see them in the companies I worked for. I would see them in the companies that I was trying to get as customers. Uh, when I was in startup incubators, all these little companies that were starting, like some of them, they grew up. And they became like 10, 20, 50 people companies. And they always have the same problems. Um, I'm not saying each company has the exact same problem, but like this, uh, when they're trying to adopt agile or when they're trying to get DevOps, um, 
and then they're trying to like gain more agility because they're you know they're trying to do hyper growth and this kinds of things mm. the same family of problems keep showing up over and over again and so i really like that i'm here and that now it's basically my job to look at these problems and say like look uh give us like a month or two months or six months departing depending on the size of the problems and your life will be so much easier like you will love going to work it's going to be so much better uh you're going to have less stress you're going to like your colleagues much more you know you're <laughs> going to stop fighting you know, like these, these are the things that i'm hoping to bring across um and when i tried to found my own companies it, i didn't have so much time to invest in that because i had a job description on top you know Mm -hmm. uh, but now that I'm doing this full time, it really feels meaningful to do what I'm doing. And you know what? Finding the meaning in a, a position like a career or a new job is half the battle. And it's not something that a job description will often tell you. So yeah. the fact that you've gone down this route and you found yourself in the DevOps world and you have that meaning from day one, I think is really, really important. Quite impressive as mm -hmm. well to manage to land mm -hmm. on that. So let's just yeah. take it back a few steps because I was going to mm -hmm. ask you about your definition of DevOps, but you've linked that into one of my other questions, which you've mentioned yeah. a couple of times, which is calms. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for those that aren't aware, uh, I will link your original LinkedIn post to this chat on mm -hmm. Spotify and on the LinkedIn page. But calms, uh, C-A-L-M-S, you touched on it a bit earlier, but do you want to just mm -hmm. go into a little bit more depth on that? Sure. Um I'd like to start with automation because I think that's what people um, associate DevOps the most with. Um, so regardless, I, I want to talk about it without the tools because the tools are actually not the point. Like I said earlier, like if, if you can do DevOps in the kitchen, there's nothing specific about Kubernetes or Terraform that has anything to do with that. Mm. So automation is just basically the idea that if you want to have agility, and by agility, I mean like you can you can go fast, but if something like stops you like uh, could be like you lose a client that's pretty big uh, your users tell you that you need to um, ditch this uh, feature that you have in your app because it's not important for them uh, and you invest a lot of money in that so it's like okay so what do we do now and you need to change direction uh, agility is that ability to change really quickly your direction and keep going at the speed that you want to go so if you automate the, the things that are repetitive to your business, right? Uh, that's actually the important part because you could be automating things that are repetitive for other people, but not for you because you're doing it once. So if you automate the things that actually matter for your business, um, then you're saving yourself the manual time that you would have invested by doing it repetitively. Um, and that's actually the, one of the key things that you want to consider when you're thinking of automating, it's like uh, when you write software, for instance, they would say if you write it three times, uh, like create an abstraction and use that to replicate the thing. Mm. Um, but in, in uh, infrastructure, it's the same idea. Like if you have one piece of infrastructure and you're just using it once, that's okay. But what happens all the time in DevOps? Well, okay, I'm creating this piece of software, this artifact. And then I want to I want to deploy it to uh, demo staging pre prod prod uh, like multiple environments right mm -hmm. so you need to have some sort of automations or like how many times do you deploy well most people would like to deploy as often as possible like we're talking sometimes multiple times a day so if your deployment pipeline is not automated then that doesn't make any sense right uh, but this this is these are the reasons why you want to automate something it's because there's repetition for you. Uh, so you shouldn't fall into the trap of like, oh, I want to do this, so I have to use this automation. So yeah, but if you do it once, maybe it's not worth the time, you know, like maybe just do it once manually. And then if you realize that the project is not going to go forward, then you can like skip that part. Mm. Um, so there's that. Uh, now and go back to culture. Like culture, it's basically, um, if you imagine your, your people in, in the company as nodes in a graph, and then you put a line between the two people if they're talking to each other for some business reason, uh, then culture can be like, okay, you look at this graph and you see where there's tension, you see where there's too much communication, you see where there's not enough communication, and then you try to kind of make this an harmonious situation. Um, so a good example of this would be like, let's say you're in a company which is about 20 technical people you have a front-end team a back-end team a devops team and the ceo shows up in the daily meetings 
why would he do that, right? He doesn't need to be there. It's not his job. The daily meetings are just yesterday I did this, today I'm going to do that. And I might need some help from person X because I'm struggling with this thing. Okay. If the CEO shows up, it becomes a reporting meeting. So the daily meeting loses its purpose, you know? Um, and so now you start, like, when you try to fix culture problems, the questions you start asking are like, well, first of all, like, why are you in the daily meetings? Are you like every day or once a week or once a month? And then let's say the person says once a week. It's like, okay, why are you there once a week? Um, and then maybe the CEO will tell you like, uh, ah, you know, I need some updates. Uh, I need to know this. I need to know that. It's like, okay. But uh, then you talk to the, the other people in the meeting and they say, yeah, when the CEO is in the meeting, actually it's pretty stressful and we start reporting and we show some graphs of what happened and so on. Hmm. And you realize like, ah, okay, so when the CEO is there, it's not a daily meeting anymore. It's like a reporting meeting. So maybe what needs to happen is that the CEO needs to talk to like the head of the department and just say, I need to talk to you and uh, I need to know what's happening this week, you know? And so instead of like crashing the daily, daily meeting, putting pressure on the employees, like implicitly giving them like a lack of trust because like, oh, this daily meeting cannot run properly now. Um, like you realize like, okay, there's a cultural issue happening. Nobody means anything bad, but just something has been done the wrong way. And then nobody noticed and nobody cared to ask the questions that need to be asked. Hmm. And just by asking those questions and talking with the people that actually have good intentions, you realize like, oh, okay, you, if you do it this way, actually everybody's happier. And I'd be like, huh, hmm, interesting. Okay. And so there's a bunch of things like that, that, that if the people mean well and they work professionally, but they look from a different perspective at how they do things, um, they could gain a lot in terms of um, the image that they have of each other. Like, um, like for instance, that CEO, uh, if he stops going to dailies and instead he meets his employees like, a, like at a cocktail event at the evening afterwards, then <laughs> he can actually have a friendly image instead of a bossy image. You yeah. know, and then it becomes more approachable and then suddenly the culture is more open, but uh, it can be these little details that when you stack them up, it really creates like, um, like a, a tension inside the company and people start um, closing up. Um, and that reminds me like another cultural problem that's very typical uh, is the one of silos. So we call them silos. Basically a silo is when, um, let's say you have a team that is trying to, uh, well, they're developing some software or something, um, and they don't document as much or they don't communicate to the other teams about what's going on because they're the experts, you know? They want to be the go-to people. They want to be important. And then they end up just, they write their code their own way and there's nothing wrong with their code, but they don't communicate externally. They become like a, a silo of information, basically. Mm. And anytime that you want to know something, you have to talk to these guys. And sometimes this, this silo is so strong that when the person leaves the company, this guy still gets contacted. like, hey, we need to do this thing. Uh, and we need you to help us figure out what's happening left and right. You know? <laughs> but the person is gone. But like the silo was so strong that they, they have to ask this person because that's the only place the information is located. Uh, and these silos, they can be good sometimes um, because like, like let's say for... Uh, let's say you have a DevOps team, right? And the developers get access to the AWS cloud or something. Um, but they don't know how it works. They don't ask a lot of questions. They're very busy, they're, busy, they're under pressure. And then they go and they change something like without uh, looking. So if this was siloed, then this accident could not happen. But uh, like ideally what you want is that you create the communication between the, the teams that actually have the, the time to invest to make a good communication channel, you know? Um, like a, a typical way that you see that happening is just via documentation. Like um, you have all the teams uh, write down like what they're doing. And then if something shouldn't be touched, then they should mention that. Or if there's a corner that's been cut, then you write down this corner has been cut because of this. And then it's important also to figure out where to put the documentation so that it actually gets read. Um, uh, anyway, I, I want to move on to the other points. Um, so 
Lean is probably the simplest to describe. Uh, if you plan your business in a way that you make big upfront costs without knowing if it's going to pay off or not, then it's really hard to fix a mistake that you've made because of the investment that you put up front. Uh, and that can be in terms of time, that can be in terms of money, that can be in terms of hires. Uh, like if you think you need a DevOps engineer and then you hire this guy for 150K and then later you realize, ah, actually, we're not going to go on the cloud, we're going to go to Shopify. Like that, that's, that's a hard, <laughs> it's an expensive it's a hard mistake. conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an expensive mistake. And then it's really hard to tell this person like, oh, now you're going to become a Shopify engineer. You're really like, what? No, I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, so it's important that you kind of build up to these things uh, and then you start small, you iterate, and then when you see that it becomes a core part of what you're doing, then you can make like bigger investments and double down on these things. Uh, but ideally you start small and you iterate, like that's part of the philosophy. Mm. Um, and then measurements, um, that's actually uh, not so complicated to explain, like why do you need this? It's pretty simple like if you want to fix a problem and you have no information about where the problem comes from good luck first of all noticing that there is a problem and then when you found it like good luck understanding how to fix that problem and most of all let's say you put a fix good luck realizing that the problem is actually fixed you know uh like if you have the problem for instance that some of you users come back to you and they say uh yeah actually the website was down today uh, but you have no logs if your servers were down or up. Mm. Well, you never look at the problem, right? It's like, oh, they said this, but it's probably just their device. And then you start like giving excuses. Um, but it can be at other levels as well. Like if you don't, let's say, if you don't regularly uh, have a chat with your employees to see how they're doing, uh, good luck finding culture problems. Mm. You know, like uh, it doesn't have to be software. It can be anything. Uh, you need to like figure out a way that the entire system that you're building software people customers uh, infrastructure that you have the information that you need to diagnose detect and prevent problems from happening um and then sharing it's actually uh also pretty simple to explain like what you want to avoid to be fast is that you have you have only one way of doing something like you don't want to have a bottleneck you want to have, you you don't want to be in a situation where there's something that you need to do but the only way to do it is this one option because if that option doesn't work then you're stuck right uh the typical example would be like let's say you're having a team to be like a front-end team a back-end team a devops team uh qa it doesn't matter uh and then there's this one guy that knows how to do that one task in the department um, if that person is like sick on vacation, decides to leave, uh, starts a family, they have a child, they're away for nine months or a bit more, I guess, um, then you're stuck. Like you cannot, um, you cannot move forward. So you need some level of redundancy. And this is only achieved by sharing the responsibilities, the information, uh, the, um, the workload. So because sometimes like it's not just about like, hey, here's the docs, uh, here's a list of instructions. It's also about like, oh, well, if it goes wrong, uh, you need to have like some experience using that tool. You need to have played with it a little bit. Um, and so if you share all these things, then uh, your team becomes more resilient to these little things that happen. Everybody is less stressed because if something big happens and there's a problem, then you have two, three people that can support you. Um, and it's all about redundancy. So some people sometimes when they work for a company and they try to especially if it's a competitive environment they're thinking like oh i have to be i have to have more responsibilities i want to become more important so they get a promotion and then they think that they achieve that by becoming the bottleneck because then everybody comes to you like that's what the bottleneck does it makes hmm. people converge to that point but what it actually ends up doing is that you become like a you become a pain both to yourself and to others because they don't come to you because they want to, they come to you because they have to. And then you're stuck. You cannot stop working because uh, everybody is forced to come to you. So you have this huge load on your shoulders and you can't hand it off because you haven't shared anything. Um, so yeah, like put all these things together and th that's what the philosophy is about. It's about 
working in a way together that gives you the agility to work. You work as a team. You're happy to work as a team. Uh, growth is possible. And yeah, that, that's how I see it. It's really interesting the way that you describe it and just hearing you bring that to life a bit. And what mm. I'd want to know is that, is, is this something that is kind of nailed home by the people in Polar Squad? You know, is this something that was made clear to you from day one or is this mostly bought from your own experience and your own journey? So where does this mm. whole philosophy come from? Um, I would say, like, personally, I never put a name on the thing. I never, like, abstracted away uh, these... Um, principles from my way of behaving in the company mm. uh but i definitely notice them that like you know like most companies that have joined uh since the beginning they had their daily meetings they had uh you know the sprint reviews the the agile ceremonies were there we're at jira board we're tracking we're measuring uh we're trying to automate like the principles were all around me and i knew why i liked them and um why they worked but I didn't put a name on it. Uh, and if there was a problem at that level, because it wasn't a concept in my head that I could formalize, mm. I couldn't diagnose, I couldn't see that that's how to fix it. Like it wouldn't have been as clear to me. Um, and when I joined Polar Squad, actually one of the things that I liked is that for them it was clear. They knew what they were doing and they knew that that's how things are supposed to work. And when I like, when I started investigating comms uh, and DevOps and when I was talking to my colleagues and so on, it kind of made me look back, like in retrospective of what kind of problems that I have in my, that I have in my previous companies and how did they come to life? And I kind of started diagnosing my previous relationships with my coworkers, uh, but it was all like a personal endeavor, but still I realized like that, that's why it works. You know, like in the end, if you do things the right way, then you get the right results. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what gets me so passionate about it, because I think that if I had seen someone from Polo Squad at these different stages of my career, it would have ended up very differently. Uh, there are some jobs I wouldn't have taken up front because, you know, like you don't have to solve all the problems in the universe. <laughs> um, no, I mean, think about it. Like if you see a company offering you a job offer and even after the first or second stage interview, you see these problems showing up. Mm. Uh, maybe you're just thinking like, look, I don't want to solve your culture problem. You know, I don't want to go in there and uh, make my life hell because I don't deserve this. I deserve it better. So you might think up front like, okay, if I see this red flag, you know, uh, nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Um, so that might have changed. But also like in companies that I liked, uh, I, I mean, very often I was actually doing the mistake of putting a lot on my shoulders to try to become more important. I have done the insane amount of overtime, especially during COVID, um, trying to keep the ship afloat. Um, and this was not really the right way of doing things, but because I didn't, because I couldn't formulate it as a problem, I couldn't start solving it. And so I think this is what we're trying to achieve here by, um, by working with our customers. It's really about figuring out the way to make your life easy and making it simple for you. Like if we find the customer, like our goal is really to make sure that we leave uh, when they're, we leave when they're in a happier place, you know, like if their life has improved, then we've done our job. Uh, the actual result, like if someone comes to us and says like, we need Kubernetes, we need Terraform. If our goal was to go in and do the best Kubernetes and Terraform work in the universe, we'd do that. And there's tons of people doing that and that's fine. Uh, but that's not what we're striving for. We're really striving for like making sure that you come up better off when when we're when we're done doing what we do. So, so that's actually what I like. That's that's you've heard me talking like that's what drives me in the morning. You know. Yeah. No, you can definitely hear it when you talk. Mm. So just staying mm. with Polar Squad for a second, then, because you've mentioned mm -hmm. them uh, a few times, without giving away obviously anything that you can't give away. <laughs> what would some of the typical problems be like the, some of the most common problems that your customers come to you with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually uh, one way that we're um, going out on the market now is with our DevOps assessment, um, because we're seeing that if we just take for granted that they think what their problem is, is their problem, 
uh, we end up doing a lot of work for nothing. And by for nothing, I mean like the customer is not happy because they spent 20K and afterwards they're still not happy, you know, or they spend 60K or 100K. I don't know. Like it, mm. they're willing to spend a lot of money. Money is usually not the problem. The problem is uh, the, the pain points that are there uh, because they have so much power. They're thinking like, okay, if I throw enough money at this problem, it's going to be solved. Mm. Um, yeah. And so they come to us with a lot of motivation and they say like, that, that's, that's the problem that we have. Can you please help? Like, okay. Um, but it's use, it's useful to like have a conversation, speak with the people uh, that are doing the day-to-day -day job and figure out what's actually going on. Like, uh, because within the company, um, you don't look at your own problems the same way that they would be seen from the outside. Um, and I think that's a perspective that can only be um, given to you by a consultant. Um, like, let's say, like, I, I've, I've had all the technical roles in the company possible. I did machine learning, data science. I did front end, back end. I did, uh, I, I was a tech lead. I was CTO. I was talking <laughs> to investors. I've done all these things, right? And still, like, even though I think I'm a smart person and our customers are very smart people, uh, you just don't have the information. It, it's not accessible to you. So like, let's say you're putting a huge burden on your people and these people are very motivated, very driven people. What they're going to tell you is that, yeah, no, it's cool. Like I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I work a lot. I'm learning a lot. And then you talk to the person from an outside perspective and they say like, yeah, actually it's really exhausting. Like I'm putting in a lot of effort and not seeing the results that I want. If you don't have the outside person, this information is not even going to come out. Mm. So this is why we like to start with the assessment because, I mean, it doesn't even have to take so much time. We can have like five, six interviews with some of the, uh, like some important people in the company. And by important, I don't mean like managers. I just mean like, okay, we want to have a manager, we want to have an employee of that team, an employee of that team, uh, maybe someone that's not technical, like HR or the CEO or someone like that. So like, so yeah, we have like a global picture. Uh, and then we just start looking at the problem from the outside and see like, oh, actually they have a huge automation budget, but why are they automating it this way? Like they don't seem to have the need for that. And then it's, oh, but this guy uh, said this and this other person said that. And actually there was a guy that was there before that left and he was the expert in these things. Oh, okay. So he was the silo and he left. Oh, okay. Um, so these are the typical kinds of uh, pain points that we're looking for. Like we're, we're trying to see how the organization is running by understanding how the people run it. Uh, and of course, uh, we can have access to like Git repositories and see what's happening in there. Look at the history of how the work was done. Um, you'd be surprised how easily it is to spot who's the, who's the silo in the company by filtering the commits by which one happened after 2 a.m. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's a fun game that I'm playing now. Every time I see a repository, I look at all the commits and then I just like uh, filter by timestamp in some time frame and I say, oh, okay, same people come back all the time. Um, so you know who's working too much, you know? <laughs> you know um, the ones that burn out. Yeah, but um, I would say like typically the, the, the technique is actually very simple. It's talk to the people uh, listen, have some empathy. Um, empathy is actually a really big topic here. Uh, we, we always make sure that we understand what's going on, that we are listening. We take a really big, uh, pride in the fact that we're good listeners, uh, because technical people talking about software, they don't, they don't go tell you that about all the emotions they're going through. They're going to say like, uh, ah, there's no documentation here. There's no this, there's no that. And we need to translate that into all the emotions that people typically go through and then understand that there's pain involved and, and see how we can fix that pain. And so um, another typical problem that we have is that the customer thinks that they know what their problems are and they want us to just give them what the equivalent of a freelancer, basically, uh, someone that just comes in, does the time and material, works the hours, uh, writes the software, and then they're not they're not willing to listen. But it doesn't really have to do with the person. Sometimes it's just because the person we're talking to is on a is on a budget, they're on a deadline, and they need someone quick. So we go in and we do the work and we gain their trust. But sometimes this situation keeps going for like three, six months because there's a cultural problem happening and we're not mandated to solve it. 
So we go in there, we do the hours, and sometimes that burns our consultants as well, because of course, like if we start working for them, there's a there's an expectation. Like we we have a reputation to preserve. Our consultants know it, so they start working the hours, and they work, they work, they work, and the results don't come. But it has nothing to do with them or how good they're working. And um, sometimes it takes a bit of time to gain their trust enough to come to them and say, like, look, uh, we've shown that we can do the work, but clearly something's not working. Like, let's have a conversation. Let's just talk about it and see what we can do to actually make your life better. Um, we wish we could do this from day one with all of our customers, but usually that's not the case because if you tell them like, yeah, let's delay this by two weeks, <laughs> let's start working two weeks from now. Sometimes it's not the the simplest solution for them, but um, <laughs> it's definitely something that we see is almost always the case that if you are to the point that you need an external consultant to fix some of your problems or even just a freelancer, usually there's something going on. Yeah, it's really rare that the only thing that they need is a technical person to go in and do the technical work and that's it. Because from my personal experience, at least, if that's the only thing you need, then you could just hire someone, you know, like put put the money to invest into a, a, a good employee and you keep them full time because it's part of your strategy to have that person full time and you keep going. Um, I, it, it's possible, but it's much more rare that you need like a one-time thing, especially in infrastructure, you know, uh, usually you don't have infrastructure as code for three weeks or three months, and then you don't need it anymore. Usually it's like, it's okay. You want to go online. You want to go on the cloud. This is, you're going to have a website. You're going to have a server. It's the backbone of your business. So you need it to be up there, you need the costs to be low, you need to be maintained, you need to be easy to manage. And so if you don't have the, the team to support that in your company, then something's wrong. And that's why we always expect that when we get clients that um, if we don't assess the situation, then we're going in blind. And you wouldn't ask that of your surgeon or yeah. your psychologist. Like you would, you would have a background picture at the beginning and then you would start diving in deep um and so yeah that, that's uh these are the most typical things that we see or at least that i've seen and heard from my colleagues so far yeah, yeah. no fair yeah. enough it makes sense as well that if you are going to just have the one one technical issue that needs solving or if one of your clients mm. is going to have one technical issue then they may as well mm. just go out and find a really good perm person that can continuously mm -hmm. solve tech issues exactly for them. yeah that's mm -hmm. where the Calm's philosophy comes in, right? You can bundle mm -hmm. that whole thing together in your service as a consultant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes complete sense. So final question for me then, Patrick, we've talked mm -hmm. a lot about um, defining DevOps, redefining DevOps. We've talked a lot mm -hmm. about Polar Squad and your job there. But what do you think the future of DevOps looks like? What's, what's the next evolution of DevOps? Because it's already been mm -hmm. through so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's changing a lot. Um, this is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking for the company because I know yeah. like, I'm not saying it's contrarian to the companies, but I know that a lot of people have very different opinions. So I just don't want to put my foot in my mouth. Yeah. Um, but me personally, I think that what's happening is that because um, the, the software has been eating the world for so many years and it's going to keep eating the world, right? So um, we're going to have problems that are much uh, more and more complicated, more and more abstract and more and more... Um, uh, expensive and energy consuming and uh, complicated to build. And so infrastructure, it's going to go through the same phases. It's going to become more and more complex, uh, more and more flexible. You're going to have so much more options. Um, like even, even if you think like, ah, oh, no, you know, I can go on Wix and make a website in five minutes. Like, yeah, but Wix is infrastructure. You know, like the reason why they can do what they do is because there's a, there's a company behind it. There's a huge backbone. There's layers. Uh, yeah, there's layers of abstraction behind it. And of course, like DevOps is um, like uh, the automation aspect of it. It's going to become more and more complicated over time. Uh, Google was like the first, um, the first real big machine that we've seen come alive. But I think there's going to be more of them. Uh, crypto is making it that is making that obvious. Like now we have decentralized huge machines, 
uh, I don't think we're going to run out of ideas. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to run out of ideas to make these things more and more complicated because I think as software is becoming more and more present in our lives, the, comp the, the complexities that come with them also become business problems. Yeah. Uh, and the bigger we get, the more complicated the problem. So, of course, like software is there to stay. Infrastructure as a service or discipline or um, a platform, it's, it's here to stay. Um, and it's just going to get more and more complicated. So I think what we need to do is to remember that at the end of the day, these things are run by people. And if we don't take them into account and just build huge machines and don't look at ourselves in the mirror every now and then, then uh, we might suffer a lot because the problem with machines is that they keep running whether we like them or not. You know, like if we set up the server to run 24-7, well, it can break today, it can break at 3 in the morning, you don't know. Uh, might break six, six months from now. Um, and you need to plan properly and know what you're doing to get into that business. Um, and we're help, we're here to help you do that. Brilliant. I think it'd be interesting to watch the evolution of DevOps. Like I say, when it was first coined or when SRE was first coined by Google, they, mm -hmm. you know, they, they kind of created site reliability engineering as mm -hmm. a, as a title. And now even that's gone through various different stages because people are mm -hmm. picking it up, they're adopting it, they're thrown mm -hmm. out as a job title and it's got mm -hmm. a completely different meaning. So the evolution of DevOps will continue to fascinate me. But Patrick, from me to you, um, thank you so much for, for today. Appreciate it on a Friday as well, when you could mm -hmm. probably be already out partying or having a beer for the weekend. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining and thanks for your patience while we had that technical issue as well. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, it's been my pleasure. And uh, like I said at the beginning, like I'm becoming more and more vocal about DevOps on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, so if our listeners want to get some more, they're welcome to just follow me. Um, and I'm trying to help people a lot as well. Um, connect with some developers looking for their first job, uh, some people that got laid off or something like that, if they're trying to find some new position, uh, if they just want to discuss problems happening in their repositories, I like to help just like as a good Samaritan kind of thing. Um, anyone that was willing to connect with me, if they like what they heard today and they want to know more about me or just discuss, uh, I'm really happy to chat. Brilliant. Yeah, really helpful. I've actually got someone mm -hmm. I could introduce you to who runs uh, his separate mm -hmm. podcast for people trying to get into software development. So Perfect. I'll, I'll link that after. And I'll also link your Calms post on LinkedIn in the show notes and your LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. for people to connect to. But yeah, once again, I appreciate mm -hmm. you, Patrick. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Cheers.